Goodness gracious. I don't know why it does that. Now. <laughs> I know it's new. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's episode of Outside the Arena with Mac and Griff. I'm Griffin Senek, joined by my co-host Mac Rommel. And today we have a very special guest. He's a graduate from Boston University, uh, author of Hometown Hardball, and also is the current Mets beat writer for Newsday, Tim Healy. Thank you very for having me. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you coming on here to talk with us. And I guess we'll jump right into things. So rather than taking, I guess, the more notable route of being on TV as a broadcaster, you decided to be a journalist. A journalist. Did you ever think about being a broadcaster? And what made you ultimately, ultimately decide to be a journalist instead? That is a good question. I, I became interested in journalism when I was in high school. My high school happened to offer a journalism class. And uh, actually, the, the most honest answer is I hated English class. I yeah. hated writing. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, a little bit. The video is yeah. a little loud. Okay, but it says my uh, internet is unstable. We can hear you, I think. I'm just, I'm just going to... Uh, okay. So I was in high school and I, I, I hated English class and I took journalism because it counted as an English class. Um, and it turned out that I loved journalism, ended up going to college for it. As far as the broadcast versus the writing route, I never, re never really considered, uh, you know, trying to be a broadcaster because I really, I really enjoyed the writing aspect of it. Um, so that was pretty much the path I, I was always trying to take. Um, so you said you studied um, journalism in college. Did you like work on the school newspaper? How did your like, where would you say your, your like real passion and it came and, and like you realized, oh, this is like really what I want to do for my, for my life? Uh, you know, I, I consider myself fortunate that going into college which is, you know, a time when a lot of kids are like, oh, I don't know what I want to major in, don't know what I want to do in life. I felt lucky because I knew what I wanted to do, which was sports writing, because I liked sports. And I figured if I could watch sports and write about sports and make a living doing that, that's a pretty sweet deal. Um, so, yes, I, I majored in journalism. I did work for the student newspaper. And whenever people interested in journalism ask me for advice, that's my biggest piece of advice join the student newspaper in high school or in college, wherever you are, because in addition to being excellent practice, uh, you know, you can get a lot of good reps in, cover a lot of games. You can learn how to be an editor, learn how to be a beat reporter. Um, in some cases, it teaches you maybe you don't like sports writing, and that's a valuable lesson too. So shout out to the Daily Free Press at BU. I covered you know, I, the, the very first team I covered was the field hockey team, mm -hmm. which was so unnotable at BU that at the time they didn't even have their own field on campus. They had to go to <laughs> MIT across the river in Boston. Um, and then I ended up covering the men's hockey team there for a bunch of years, which was critical experience. Uh, BU is not a big sports school. So hockey is like football or basketball at other places. Um, so it was really sweet to be able to cover you know, Charlie Coyle, uh, Matt Nieto, Alex Chason, like guys who have gone on to legitimate NHL careers. It was a lot of fun. Yep, that's great. So you've covered multiple sports and you got involved and now you're obviously doing baseball, but uh, your experience doing hockey or whatever it may have been, uh, did you ever think about being a journalist for a different sport rather than baseball? 
at heart, I was always a baseball guy. Um, growing up, baseball was my top sport. Football was sort of just something to follow, something to fill the off season with. But I was I was always a baseball guy at heart. Um, so that was that was what I pursued. I, I tried to tailor my own experience to becoming a baseball beat writer, whether that was you know with internships or you know some of the extra work I did on the side in college. I covered some high school sports for the Boston Globe and always tried to lean toward baseball when I could. Um, so er early on, it was give me whatever, whatever assignment you want. I will do whatever is needed, write about what, whichever sport. Uh, so there was a lot of variety early on, uh, but then I was able to work myself into baseball specific jobs, which was nice. So yeah, obviously uh, after college, you went on, did uh, various jobs throughout baseball and whatnot. Um, but in the middle of your career in journalism, uh, you wrote the book that I mentioned in my intro, uh, Hometown Hardball, uh, which covers, you know, various minor league stadiums and whatnot. Um, I, I saw that I'm actually going to go buy it after this. I, I didn't know you had a book, so I'm definitely going to go check that out. Um, but what was, your to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> what was your inspiration though for the book and, and how did it exactly come about? It was, so after college, I, I did the whole freelance thing for a couple of years, looking for a full-time job. Like I said, getting work and doing work where I could. And the minor leagues had always been a passion of mine. Um, loved following the prospects, even as a kid. Uh, wrote a couple pretty nerdy, specific stories uh, in college and after college, minor leagues related. And I, I got an email out of the blue from the publisher saying, we're thinking about a book along these lines. What do you think? And do you know anybody who might be interested in writing it? And we, so we had some back and forth on what the idea was. And I, and I said, actually, you know, I would be interested in writing that. So, uh, you know, as opposed to passing it off to somebody else, it seemed like a pretty sweet opportunity. Um, so, and so what it became was, a guide to minor league baseball in the Northeast. So all of New England, plus New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Um, so I, I went to a bunch of those ballparks and tried to write about, you know, baseball, wherever you go is pretty much the same, right? Three strikes, four balls, nine innings, three outs in an inning. Mm -hmm. But at all of these small town ballparks, there's, it's, its own history, its own traditions, its own ridiculous concession food concoctions. Um, so I tried to tell readers a little bit about what makes each team, each ballpark different and special and, and perhaps worth visiting. Um, so that, that was a few years ago now. The restructuring of the miners has made some of the information outdated, but I think there are still some fun stories in there. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully people who read it enjoy reading it. Yep, that's great. And then, uh, especially when you're covering that book or when you're writing a book, a lot of people don't have that skill to be able to do that or even take that step like you took to go out and want to write this book. Um, did those right. journalism classes that you previously took, is that what helped allow you uh, to be able to skillfully write a book? I'd say so. Yeah, the journalism classes, as well as my just journalism experience to that point, um, it was my first book and so far only book, maybe one day down the line, I'll, I'll write another. Yeah. But so, so the way I approached it, since a book is just, you know, it's so much, you write a story, 600 words or whatever, that's easy. You can bang that out a couple times a day, usually during a normal day. A book, 
50,000 words, just monstrous, uh, kind of hard to wrap your mind around. So the way I broke it down in my mind was view it as a story for each ballpark. So write a pretty long story in each ballpark and you put it all together and that's pretty much your book right there. Um, so it was a different experience than anything I had done before or since. Um, but it was really good, uh, you know, valuable learning experience for me as somebody who had never done that before. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I can't wait to read the book for sure. Um, we'll leave a link to that in the description. So make sure to go check that out by uh, Hometown Hardball. Um, but obviously, currently, uh, you're serving as, you know, beat writer for uh, my New York Mets, my beloved Mets here. Um, I know, I believe you worked on them, <laughs> worked for them before, covered them before I read, but um, you know, for this past stint, which I believe you started in 2018, I might be wrong. Um, how did you go about getting the job yeah. with Newsday? And, um, you know, what's it been like so far? What have been some of the highs and the lows? Um, you know, kind of just describe that whole process. Uh, how, how it came to be me at Newsday, I was, so after I wrote the book, or around the time I wrote the book, I actually moved from Boston to outside Miami because I got you know, kind of my, kind of a big break, you could say, covering the Marlins for the South Florida Sun Sentinel down there. Um, and that was my first beat job, right? The first time I was at the ballpark every day, going on the road to cover the team, really getting to know the individuals in the clubhouse and the front office on the coaching staff, covering it full time. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then the Newsday job opened up. So I just sort of sent a cold call email to my now bosses saying, I know you have an opening. I'm not sure how you're feeling it, but I am interested. Here's my resume. Here's some stories. Let me know. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were interested, which I'm not going to lie, surprised me. Uh, Mark Carrig had the job before and he, he, he was so good at it. And when he was leaving, I thought, damn, like I wish he lasted another couple of years so that I'd be more experienced and I could maybe snag that job. And uh, it ended up working out anyway when he left in 2018. So Newsday hired me and uh, the Mets have been a blast to cover. I always tell people that the good thing about covering the Mets is that you're never lacking things to write about. They are eventful, good or bad, on the, on the field or off the field. There is always something going on. And one of my favorite examples of that is October for a non-playoff team is usually a very slow time of year, right? MLB likes to focus to be on the playoffs. So there's not a lot of news elsewhere. So for a beat writer of a non-playoff team, October should be a pretty chill time of year, right? You're on the clock, but you're not working that much. Hopefully you're sleeping a lot after a long season, but the, the, uh, my Octobers covering the Mets have been insane. <laughs> insane. First, they, they had a GM search uh, that was extremely long, and they hired Jacob DeGrom's agent, which was super unexpected, right? Before anybody really knew Brody Van Wagen, before he was a household name, it was kind of like, what, what do you mean DeGrom's agent is interviewing for this job, right? It was, it was out of nowhere. So that was a bonkers October. The year after that, they had a manager search in which, you know, they hired uh, Carlos Beltran, of course, which was a whole nother saga later in the offseason. And then last October, they had the ownership change, which was 
almost done, pretty much done the whole month, but then you had the whole de Blasio maybe blocking it storyline. And so all that is to say the Mets are very eventful. Um, highs, highs and lows wise. I mean, there, there have been quite a few lows for the Mets the past few years, right? Um, a couple Junes, no playoffs, June swoon. things like that. Um, June swoon. Uh, but that, that, I mean, the highs have been there. Uh, Degrom's two Cy Young seasons, Pete Alonso's Rookie of the Year season, Jacob Degrom's. I mean, uh, David Wright's last game, which was really cool to be at, and is definitely on my list of things where I say, "Damn!" Like, I feel pretty fortunate to have been there in person and, and covered that. Um, so, you know, like I said to start, extremely eventful team to cover. Uh, a lot of fun to cover too. Yep, Mets, always eventful on, off the field. But sticking with the off the field, has there been any sort of scandal, controversy, really anything that's surrounding them uh, that's been crazy for you? Or what's the craziest, craziest scandal or whatever that you've worked through? I'm sorry, you, you broke up a little bit there. The, the craziest scandal, you craziest were, uh, scandal or episode? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Can you, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the, the question was the craziest scandal uh, in the time. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. I mean, there are a lot of crazy days. I, I, I sent a tweet recently with the hashtag no normal days, which is a little bit of an exaggeration, but not that much of an exaggeration. Um, the create one of the craziest days that come to mind comes to mind is uh, June 2019. Uh, the Mets got swept in Miami, mm-hmm. and you know one day was a one hitter, and there was a lot of questions about Mickey Callaway and if he was going to get fired. Uh, and the talk internally from the Mets at the time was no managerial decision that weekend. So it's like okay. You can let your guard down for at least through Sunday, see what happens Monday. Mm-hmm. Monday, a homestand starts, and Brody Van Wagenen calls a press conference. It's like, okay, so, you know, it sounds like Mickey's not getting fired, but uh, maybe he'll, maybe he's just going to do like a vote of confidence sort of deal. Mm-hmm. So you get to the ballpark, you go to the press conference, Brody comes in, and, uh, instead of talking about Mickey Calloway, he goes, uh, you know, Yohannes Cespedes suffered a violent fall on his ranch and, and broke his, and suffered multiple ankle fractures. And it's just like, what? Like, <laughs> what, what, how does, how does this happen? Yeah. Uh, it was so that, that, that is easily among the wildest days uh, on the beach. Uh, I mean, the, you know, wrong lineup card day in Cincinnati. Um Man, it, I'm trying to think of so. Th- th- it just feels like there have been so many things. There, there was the day with you know the way the day Callaway and Vargas got mad at me, which was a hell of a day, hell of a couple days actually, because it got interesting the next day too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that pretty much blew over uh, the way I expected it to. Um, and, and I mean, this injuries have been wild. There were. You know, the whole A-Rod trying to buy the team saga. I mean, it just, it just, there's so many things that have happened and it's hard to, uh, 
even remember them all in the moment, you know? Yeah, definitely uh, never a dull, dull day with the Mets, it seems. I mean, there's always some, you can always find some sort of news, it seems like with them, that's, you know, never like any other team. But, um, you know, that's the right. Mets for you. Um, I, one thing I did want to uh, ask you to elaborate on, um, the whole Mickey Callaway thing in, in Chicago that day, I mean, in yeah. your eyes, what exactly, like, happened I mean, and what are your thoughts right now? I mean, obviously, Mickey Callaway, you know, the whole – he had a scandal this offseason. He's, you know, now right. not looking like a very good person, not going to be in baseball for the next foreseeable future, maybe forever. I mean, what are your thoughts about, you know, that right. whole fiasco then, but, you know, also looking back on it now? It's It was the sort of thing where, you know, that instance, that example of – tension in the clubhouse with the reporter blew up and got a lot of attention, but it's not terribly uncommon. You know, I, writers who have been around a lot longer than me uh, in the aftermath of that told me some great stories about how, uh, you know, they had their version of that. Uh, and, you know, the short version, or I guess the expl the only explanation there is, is sometimes when a team is losing, when it expects to win, people are unhappy, right? Mm -hmm. And when you combine that with uh, a particularly bad weekend in Chicago and some questions about Callaway's job, and in the case of Vargas, a guy who was at the end of his career and and knew it, um, you know, and there's always some tension there when a guy is at the end of his rope and, uh, you know, not playing very much longer. It's a big life change for a guy. Um, just all of those factors collided and I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, everybody remembers. I just said, see you tomorrow. Uh, by which I meant, you know, see, see you tomorrow. Cause everybody was going to Philly. <laughs> um, uh, so and it just like, I, in the moment I was stunned that it, yeah. well, that what happened happened. Uh, and then blew up, got a lot of attention, became the whole news story the next day. And then pretty much after that, just, blew over you know everybody goes on to the next thing um you know you win or lose the next game win or lose the next series and then you know Vargas gets traded a few weeks later and Mickey gets fired a couple months after that and that's how it goes you know circle of life in baseball yep so I guess now I want to move on back to uh your career right now as a beat writer so uh every day uh, you're obviously doing something new, you're traveling, whatever it may be. But I was wondering what your daily routine is like uh, while you're at home, while you're on the road, and even while or during the off seasons. So daily routine during the season, home or away. Um, usually I get to the ballpark around three o'clock for a seven o'clock game. Um, so a, a normal workday runs from like two, three, two 30 or three o'clock till about midnight, mm -hmm. um, for a seven, for a seven o'clock night game. And so get to the ballpark. Um, and I, I'll, I'll give you the normal non-pandemic version as opposed to the pandemic version, yeah. get to the ballpark around three o'clock. A little while after that, the manager will talk, do his daily pregame press conference. The clubhouse will be open for about 45 minutes, an hour which gives each reporter an opportunity to, you know, talk to players or coaches who they want to talk to, whether it's, you know, for that day's stories or for something else. 
That's also the time where any player who is obviously newsworthy will do like a group interview, whether he's injured or just got called up or whatever it may be. Um, so then the clubhouse happens and then batting practice happens, go on the field for batting practice. Um, not always the most eventful portion of the day. There is a good amount of standing around, but it's the sort of situation where you kind of have to be there just in case something happens. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll end around five, five thirty, and you go back up to the press box, write your pregame story of whatever news and notes are going on that day. I usually file that by the time the game starts. Uh, hopefully you can squeeze in dinner sometime around then. And then the game happens, you know, if you're, if you're lucky, if it, it ends in about three hours or so. Um, and toward the end of the game, you start writing the game story, which is the main story of the day usually. And you, I have to send the first version of the game story to my editors as soon as the game is over. Um, so that's, uh, you know, the Mets this year, having a good season, play a ton of close games, mm -hmm. a ton of comebacks, which makes writing a game story on the fly kind of difficult. Um, and then after the game, you go back down to the clubhouse, talk to the manager, talk to relevant players, hustle back up to the press box and update your game story with quotes and details and whatever else it needs. And then usually the night is over by, you know, 1130, 12 o'clock and that's a day. So it's, it's, it's a pretty full day. Um, sometimes a lot of standing around until it was a lot of standing around waiting because nothing happens until something happens. Right. And you just kind of have to be ready for when that something happens. Um, off season wise, completely different routine because there really is no daily routine. Mm -hmm. um, it's mostly just seeing what happens as it happens, signings, trades, hirings, firings, things like that. Uh, it's, it's busier than you would probably expect. Um, most days there is something to write, maybe something small, um, but usually something. Uh, but th there isn't really a routine. It's just sort of kind of have your phone nearby in case something happens, but don't really have to be sitting at your computer all day sort of situation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you bring up the the close games. It you know feels like there's a heartbreaker waiting to happen almost every night watching the the Mets. Yeah. Uh, definitely the San Diego San Diego series has not been um, good good on the soul. But um, I, I want to ask you about ones. very close ones, unfortunately. Yeah, and didn't go the Mets way, but um, you know that's how it is. Degrom goes tonight, so hopefully that will be better. But I want to ask you um, about kind of, you know, the environment in the, you know, the group of the Mets beat, obviously uh, various other reporters, yeah. you know, is it like a friendly environment? I'm sure there's, you know, it's pretty friendly, but you know, also how is, you know, how do you guys balance like a friendly environment, but also being competitive, being at various, you know, sources and trying to get, you know, the store, you know, first one out with sure. the story and whatnot. That's a great question because being on a beat is a really weird work environment. Being on a beat, like a sports, a pro sports beat, because you're around each other all the time. Uh, you're in all these other cities together. Uh, um, 
I know them and see them much, much, much more than I see or know any of my actual coworkers. You know, I, I've met several people who work for Newsday. I almost never go to the Newsday office, um, but I go to the ballpark all the time and I see my competitors all the time. So you're, you're exactly right. It is friendly. Um, sometimes you're, you are at least friendly, sometimes friends with your competitors. So it is a weird dynamic. Um, so you get to know each other's habits pretty well. So sometimes you can tell if you see somebody, one of your competitors acting squirrely, like they're on the phone or, you know, they're talking to such and such player one-on-one. It's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta watch out for that. They, they have something coming. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it, it is an interesting dynamic. Um, so you, you, at the end of the day, you are competitors. You want to write better stories than them. You want to break news before they do. You want to have better sources than them, all of that stuff. Um, but then also you spend so much time around each other that for, for each individual sake, hopefully you're at least friendly. Because if you hated the people you were surrounded by every day, that would just, that would just be a drag. Um, so with, with the Mets beat in particular, we are all pretty much friendly. You know, there's a core group of six of us, uh, me, Tacoma from MLB.com, Tim Britton from The Athletic, Disha from The Daily News, Justin Toscano from The Bergen Record, and, and Mike Puma from The New York Post. Um, that is fewer members of the beat than there have been in years past. You know, ESPN doesn't cover them anymore on a beat basis the New York Times has dropped off. The Wall Street Journal dropped off a few years ago. So six people now was a few more than that a few years ago. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a very unusual work environment in that sense and that you're friendly with your competitors. Yeah. And uh, a really big part about breaking news is, is Twitter, really. You're interacting with Mets yeah. fans, for you specifically Mets fans every single day so what are your honest opinions on Mets fans and Mets Twitter because we know that gets hectic <laughs> uh Mets Twitter likes to have a lot of fun I overall I like Mets Twitter naturally as with any group of people you will have your share of stupid people uh but overall I, I think I think Mets fans are really smart they care a ton Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually, I was just thinking about this this morning that, you know, I, I always try to remind myself in the same way that players make the money that they make. The only reasons the major leagues exist is because of fans, right? If fans weren't pouring money into baseball, MLB wouldn't be what it is in the same way on a much smaller scale. My job only exists because people care enough to read about the team. Um, so mm-hmm. without fans, my job wouldn't exist. So in that sense, I am always grateful for them, um, especially the ones who subscribe to Newsday. And uh, uh, But uh, overall, Mets Twitter, very, a, lot of, a lot of very smart, very funny people on Mets Twitter that, uh, you know, it, it's fun to follow along with. Yeah, definitely a Mets Twitter space where, uh, you know, the, there's always seems to be complaining, but I think, you know, everyone – all in all, it's just, you know, pretty passionate about the team and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah. yeah, Mets fans, uh, they've, they've had a lot of suffering. We can say that. <laughs> it's been a rough, rough patch of years. But, um, 
Lastly, yeah. um, kind of the final thing I really want to touch on with you is the actual team itself. Obviously, the Mets right now playing pretty good baseball all in all. Obviously, uh, they've dropped the last yeah. two, but um, still in first place by, by three and a half games with all the injuries. Um, it's been pretty remarkable. I've been, you know, pretty, pretty, it's been a fun team to watch, to say the least. So, um, you know, you obviously yeah. cover the team. You talk to the players. You're watching every single game. So, I mean, what are your honest thoughts right now on the Mets? Um, you know, obviously it's, it's a banged up team, but you know, what do you think, uh, expectations could be, you know, for the, the end of the season, could this be a, a playoff team and even a, a championship contender? What are your thoughts? It could be a playoff team. I'm less confident in it being a legitimate championship contender, but there's a long way to go. And there's definitely room for that, right? Coming into the year, I thought the Mets were improved, but not the best team in the division. They are changing my mind about them not being the best team in the division. I think that I think the division is not only winnable because the other teams have underwhelmed, especially the Braves, but the Mets have been good. You know, if, if, if you told a fan that they'd be three and a half games in first to start early June after with, with that list of guys on the injured list, everybody would sign up for that. Um, they've been really impressive the way they've been able to not only stay afloat, but play well uh, with all of those guys out hurt. Um, so, so when you look at what they've done so far, it's easy to say, wow, when those hitters come back, when Carrasco comes back, when Syndergaard comes back, this could be a hell of a team. Now that's on paper. Things don't happen on paper, right? We've already seen that with setbacks with Syndergaard and Carrasco. So there's a lot to be decided, but there are a lot of reasons why this team should be a lot of fun right through September, if not longer. So, um, you know, they've been better than I expected so far. Um, and, you know, it should be a really exciting uh, next four months. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's a good time to be a Mets fan, especially with obviously Steve Cohen owning the team, owning the team, you know, uh, you know, they're going to be making moves at the deadline and whatnot. So uh, you'll be busy, Tim. We know that for sure. Um, but kind yeah. of a, a final, final question for you, um, obviously, you know, watching actually two more questions. Uh, first one being, you know, staying on the, the topic of um, the Mets in their season. Do you have like a favorite moment or favorite game so far this season, just from, you know, watching the team or, uh, of the various events that have occurred. I mean, there's been many fiascos in mid-game and, and whatnot. Uh, I mean, we saw a dugout fight with a, you know, raccoon versus squirrel or whatnot. I mean, there's always something. But what, yeah. have, what would you say your favorite moment of the Mets season has been so far? The first one, the first game that comes to mind is that Sunday night in Philadelphia. Um, where the Dom Smith, Jose Alvarado stuff happened earlier in the week. Um, that was the Friday night. And then Alvarado blew it against the Mets because he was appealing his suspension, which made him available to pitch. And then Edwin Diaz came in a non-safe situation and almost blew it. And Reese Hoskins is almost tying home run went off the top of the wall. It, was, it just, I didn't sleep a lot that night because I had an early flight and it took me a long time to write that game story. It required a lot of updating, but that's probably the moment that most, uh, you know, that, that comes to mind first. Um, you know, similar to the earlier questions about like 
craziest scandal or episode in my time on the beat. Like there's just been so many wild games that it's hard to even remember some of the other ones. Oh, opening day at City Field with Conforto getting walked the walk off hit by pitch when he kind of stuck his elbow out. That was wild. Um, those are the two wildest ones that that come to mind. Uh, you know, and wild games are are fun to write about and 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 definitely memorable. Yeah, um, I you know you bring up the Phillies one. I think I had a almost a heart attack watching that. I mean, that, I've never seen something so crazy where it hit off the literal like the the pole. I mean, it's it's ridiculous yeah. watching that, especially with Diaz. I mean, that just gives bad flashbacks and whatnot. I mean, that's right. that's that's you never want to see that. But um, I think a good question to kind of end on here. Um, you know, obviously talking about the Mets. You know, you cover a team, you surround a team for so much time. I don't know. Um, what team you liked growing up per se, but um, you know, do you kind of become a fan of these teams while you're covering them? And how does that kind of play into your work as a journalist in terms of, you know, managing fandom um, with work at the same time? Sure. Uh, Growing up, I was a Red Sox fan, which was actually one of the reasons I wanted to go to Boston for college when I went to BU. Um, But as you get into the, reporter side of things the team specific fandom sort of falls by the wayside and when I was a journalism student before I really got into this that seemed crazy to me I remember asking Mark Feinsand who at the time covered the Yankees for the Daily News I interviewed him for a class assignment he was a BU guy too much older than me um you know how does that work you know he was a Yankees fan growing up and now he covers the Yankees how do you keep your feelings in check and he just said it just so what happens naturally, uh, you know, you're in the press box, you're, you, you end up not caring about the wins or losses as much as you do. Hopefully it's in a reasonably entertaining game, a reasonably quick game, right? Nobody wants to be there for four and a half hours. Uh, it's probably true for fans too. Um, and you just, the, the emotional component of it uh, sort of goes away when you're writing because you have to stay focused. Um, you're writing your stories, so you have to be able to ask questions after. So being around the Mets the last few years, I haven't really become a Mets fan. Um, you know, I, I, I would not consider my, you know, I'm not, I'm a fan of baseball overall. Naturally, over the course of being a beat writer, you tend to become fans of certain individuals. So you find yourself rooting for those individuals, whether they're on the team you cover or whether they play for another team. Um, but you root for good weather and entertaining games, and that, that's pretty much the extent of it. I will say, though, you don't – wins or losses don't really matter, but a winning team can be a lot more fun to cover than a mediocre team. Um, from a fan interest perspective, from a mood of the people you're talking to every day perspective, right, it's a lot easier to talk to players and managers when they're happy after a win than yeah. when we're, they're – mad after a loss as we discussed earlier um so it is easier to cover a winning team in that sense but day-to-day wins win win or lose doesn't really affect uh my job and and what i have to do very interesting i mean i i wouldn't have guessed that if i was reporting whoever i mean i i don't know i I wouldn't be able to keep my uh, my feelings in check with my original fandom uh, growing, <laughs> I honestly, I don't think I could, but I guess I, with, felt, I felt the same way. 
yeah, it just happens naturally, I guess. But uh, it's very, yeah. interesting, very interesting. But I guess with that, we'll wrap things up here. Everyone, as always, thank you for watching this week's episode of Outside the Arena. Please make sure to follow, like, comment, subscribe, not only on this channel, but on our other channel, OTA Clips, where we post shorter breaking news type clips over there. Make sure to follow us all on Instagram. My Instagram is Mac.Rommel. Griffin's Instagram is Griffin Senek. And our podcast Instagram is Outside the Arena Podcast. We will link Tim's social medias down in the description below. And as always, everyone stay safe and we'll see you all next week.